Hello, this is Mike Biffle, uh, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 71 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, February 21st, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Celia Schilling of Yacht Club Games on to discuss the history of the Shovel Knight creators and their ventures into publishing, including the recently released Cyber Shadow. The backward compatibility program is making headlines this week with its new frame rate boost, and it was announced that there's a new Xbox wireless headset on the way. Add to that, some cult classics are getting new life in 2021, and we've got plenty to look forward to. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I want to offer words of kindness to someone who has made my gaming week better. And this week, I extend words of kindness to Danny Pena of Gamertag Radio. Now, Danny and I have never met or even had a conversation, and yet each week my timeline is filled with him offering words of encouragement and offering incredible content to people in the video game space. Whether it's interviews, his work with Gamertag Radio, or simply supporting other creators, Danley consistently spotlights people that uh, really just brings joy into my gaming world, and yet again serves as a reminder for how wonderful the gaming community can be when it's focused its attention in the right places. So cheers to Danny Pena, check out Gamertag Radio, an incredible interview recently with Reggie fils and uh, really just brightening my week. Check him out. Gamers received a thankful respite from the rumor mill this past week as plenty of news stories made headlines and discussion board posts. First up on our agenda this week is the backward compatibility program. Now, the back compat team went largely silent in early 2020, I want to say, as they stepped back from releasing older titles into the program, instead choosing to focus on preparing all of the back compat titles to run smoothly and capably on the Xbox Series S and X set of devices. This past week in an Xbox Wired post, Paul Eng, a senior program manager over at Xbox, detailed the latest of what their work entails to maximize the abilities of the Back and Pat program, and this time it's by way of something called FPS Boost. That's frames per second boost. Don't make the mistake I did and think for half a second even that it was a first-person shooter boost. I'm sure that we'll get plenty of FPS games uh, getting a boost in that realm, but don't make the mistake I did. It is definitely frames per second boost. Now, this is a free perk for those who are operating with the Xbox Series S and X set of devices that takes advantage of those systems' greater power than the Xbox One by way of increasing the frame rate to older titles. Frame rates can be doubled and in some cases quadrupled up to 120 frames per second past where they were originally coded to display. Now, in order to see 120 frames per second, you'll, of course, need the right type of display or monitor yourself. And myself, I'm using an LG CX model, and I can see titles with 120 frames per second, and it really is a game changer. The rollout of the FPS boost starts this past week uh, with a handful of, of titles that may or may not blip onto your radar. Sniper Elite 4, Far Cry 4, Watch Dogs 2, UFC 4, and New Super Lucky's Tale are all taking advantage of this program. And there are plans to continue rolling out titles to receive the FPS boost throughout the spring and the rest of this year. You're going to get menu and display options on your Xbox dashboard that will let you manage the game, toggle on and off the FPS boost if you want this boost at a system level, as some games were not designed to be seen in 60 or 120 frames per second, but just their original 30. There's going to be an indicator informing you whether or not the game is going to be running FPS boost, just as you would see with an auto HDR icon or the optimized for Xbox Series S and X. And I'm told also that there is a an icon coming to let you know which games are in your quick resume queue. 
And I really appreciate these little caveats that allow you to just manage and, and be knowledgeable about what it is your system is doing. As far as this frames per second boost that many of these older games are set to be getting, I'm very positive on it. I'm really thrilled to see that a lot of these things are going to be happening happening at a system level by way of machine learning. We've seen different older pieces of media and content, even the, the uh, Rick Astley, you know, never going to give you up thing got a, a 60 frames per second boost from something that was recorded so long ago, simply due to machine learning. The fact that the back impact team is taking advantage of the hardware for the Xbox Series S and X set of devices to enhance older titles is really thrilling to me. I was listening to an interview with Jason Ronald on, I believe it was Kind of Funny's Xcast, and he noted that many of the titles that are going to be coming available with FPS Boost have been going through hours and hours of playtesting to make sure that while they're upping, doubling, and quadrupling these frames per second, they're not breaking the game in any particular way because they were designed to be run at 30 frames per second or or varying, I suppose, uh, at various levels around that. In some cases, it can break the game because the game simply wasn't created with that, that display type in mind. The team does all of the work on, on a system level on their own side, the Xbox team I'm referring to, and if they want to bring a third party into it, they already test the game and prep it before going to that third party to say, hey, here's what we've got, we think it's running well, take a look at it, and once that third party team clears it, then they are putting it into the program. I'm really thrilled by this for a couple reasons. First, I, I, I've said before, and I will double down on my mentality, that Xbox is doing better a better job than any other first party in the industry right now at preserving legacy. I think PlayStation's really doing a wonderful job as well and, and getting on board that train, but Xbox seems to be light years ahead of Nintendo in terms of preserving the games uh, as they were intended and enhancing them on their current platform by way of free masters, not necessarily making you rebuy the game. I wonder if we don't see third parties turn down the option to do the, the FPS boost or the free master approach, enhanced for X approach as well, uh, because they want to re-release the game by way of remasters or remakes and whatnot. I, I wonder if we don't see that happening, but I really appreciate that Xbox is doing this at a system level so that games are not lost to the ether. Their forward compatibility initiatives combine really well with the backward compatibility initiatives to make sure that if you buy a game, it exists within your ecosystem for decades to come. I mean, I'm playing games that are available on the original Xbox back then through the 360 through now to the Xbox One and Series SX set of devices. That's four systems worth of legacy that I can access simply via my Xbox Series X. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate that I don't have to necessarily rebuy a title to keep it in my library, something that I'm not sure we, we are always afforded the luxury of. I mentioned Nintendo uh, a moment ago, and I want to bring them up for a specific difference that I'm, I'm noting between Nintendo and Xbox in their method of game preservation. Because of Nintendo's incredible innovative legacy in terms of creating systems with various levels of, of innovation, when I'm thinking about the Nintendo 64 controller, the GameCube system having a handle on it so you could take it to different, uh, different friends' houses with ease, I'm thinking, of course, about the Wii and its motion controls, sometimes games don't transfer well. A lot of DS titles don't transfer well uh, into to newer Switch hardware. It's really hard to necessarily carry those games forward including a lot of motion-controlled Wii games. We're seeing this in the Xbox space with Kinect games as they've gone the way of the Dodo. Nintendo announced that that Skyward Sword was getting an HD remaster, I think is probably the best way to put it, and a re-release at the very least, in their recent Nintendo Direct and... In many ways, I was very happy to see that because I don't like games being locked on hardware that requires it to function. Of course, you know, most games on the Wii need that motion control. And Skyward Sword is a Zelda game that I missed, and I would really love to see it happen uh, with button inputs just so I can get rid of those button controls. And even the, the re-release that Nintendo is going to be making has a lot of motion control elements in it, and it feels very forced, and I don't like that. And I think a lot about this game preservation, this legacy idea, and the control schemes that can be lost to the ether if they're not forward compatible. And I, I wonder if, and I've mentioned this before, but I wonder if maybe that's why we see the Xbox Series S and X controllers not necessarily doing 
a lot of new things versus the Xbox One and 360 generations, there's not a lot of change between those controllers. Whereas if you look over at the DualSense controller, there's a lot of new technology in there. You look over at the Joy-Cons, there's a lot of advanced technology in there. And I wonder if that makes it easier or harder to access games via xCloud, via PC, Play Anywhere, and whether or not those things are really worth it in the long run. I, of course, love the DualSense controller. I think it's a fantastic piece of technology. Really love the features that are in there. Uh, but it doesn't thrill me, I suppose. And if I'm playing a game on xCloud with the you know, Razer Kishi with, on my phone, or uh, if I'm just moving around accessing a tablet via any available controller, I won't get a lot of those features therein. I'm curious whether or not we see companies continue to have special hardware in order to play games or maximize their experience with games, or if we see kind of a reduction of those technologies because they are more complex. I bring all this 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 conversation up because I really appreciate the way that Microsoft is letting gamers access older titles and boosting them on a system level so you get the best experience. However, you can revert back to the older experience if you like. These are important because I don't want to ever see games lost to a timeline where they can never be played again. It happens far too often with licensed games, and I don't want to see the technology of the systems involved lock people out as well. So in all in all, cheers to this idea of preserving legacy. Cheers to the idea of enhancing games that you may love. I know the initial slate may not thrill anybody right out the gate, but I can tell you I really enjoyed Sniper Elite 4. I love New Super Lucky's Tale as a platformer. Watch Dogs 2 and Far Cry 4 get a lot of renown. And if you're a UFC 4 fan, there's a lot to celebrate there as well. If you are playing these games and you see these initial FPS boosts on your display, make sure you've got the right kind of uh, monitor or TV that can show you 120 frames per second. I think sometimes we we think we're getting something great, but our TVs or, or monitors don't actually show us that. I was was in shock when I, I booted up my LG OLED TV with Sea of Thieves. It just changed everything for how that game was displayed and how it looked. But if you have the ability to access these frame rate boosts and you're seeing it on your monitor, please write into the show. Let me know what you think. If you're, if it's noticeable, does it change things for you? I'm going to be diving in and tackling a few of these uh, over the coming weeks just to see what it's like for myself. Uh, let me know what you think. Tweet me at insipidghost or email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Let me know if this is doing anything for you in the game preservation side or if you're just thrilled that the Back and Pat program is making headlines once again. <laughs> A few weeks ago, Todd Oxtra wrote in asking me whether or not I thought Microsoft would be releasing a new headset with the Xbox Series S and X set of devices, or whether or not they would cede that that territory to third-party manufacturers. And initially, I said I thought they would cede it to third-party manufacturers. I thought they had plenty of things on their plate trying to get hardware out there, and why not leave it to SteelSeries and Riggs and Astro to make headsets for them for, for the time being. Turns out I was way wrong as Microsoft announced this past week in an Xbox Wire post that they would be releasing the new Xbox wireless headset with plenty of different audio features for a very comfortable $99 price point. From what I'm hearing from those who are far more qualified to discuss audio is that it's an extremely valuable price for the headset and what it offers. Now, for context, currently I use the Arctis 7X, and previously I used the Rig 800s and Arctis 9s, uh, and I was really big on the Arctis set of, set of headsets, and I love, love, love this Arctis 7X. I think it's the best headset I've ever used, and that's made, by, of course, by SteelSeries. From those who are, are audiophiles and, and really specialize in what the best types of audio headsets are, they seem fairly high on this new Xbox headset that has a very minimalistic design. It doesn't scream Xbox at you when you look at it. And to my, to my amateur eyes, I'm really enjoying the aesthetic that it's offering. There are a couple key points to note here. It has concurrent Bluetooth connections, meaning you can connect to your Xbox and your phone. And if you're wondering, well, I don't really want to take phone calls, keep in mind that many people use Discord for game chat instead of using the embedded system stuff. It works very well for crossplay and the like. So if you're accessing Discord from your phone, you can route that audio into your headset and make adjustments uh, to balance that between the audio sounds setups and, and really just enjoy using both at the same time concurrently. 
It does use Bluetooth connections there. There is no dongle necessary to connect to the Xbox, which I think is great. As I said, I'm using the Arctis 7Xs, and those are uh, those require a dongle. I have found, due to the proprietary tech, that I actually tend to prefer headsets with a dongle, but that's such a small thing. I just plug it into the back, and, and it's behind my entertainment center, and I don't even notice it. But take that how you will. Of course, this is going to support different types of Xbox surround sound solutions like Dolby Atmos, DTS-X, and Windows Sonic. My ears don't really catch much of a difference between those things, but I know that many different audiophiles do. There will be twin ear dials to control volume and voice game mixing. Of course, many high-end headsets have this. Uh, there's a lot of high-quality design with an interior. There's different types of rubberized accents, and those accents, I think, are what are causing some people to question whether or not it's going to be a comfortable headset to wear. I think Xbox has a very mixed set of success when it comes to headsets being comfortable. Uh, again, I use the the Rigs and the Arctis series, and both of those are incredibly comfortable headsets. So I'm not necessarily sure whether or not this one will rank in on mine, and I'm curious to see what people say about it. The battery life looks pretty good as well. 15 hours of wireless battery life seems dope. Fully charges in three hours, but you can get a quick play session charged in about 15 minutes to half an hour. So that's pretty cool as well. All in all, I'm very curious to see how this headset rolls out. I do not know if I'll be getting a review unit for this, but I am not going to purchase this one because I have two headsets that are very high quality at the moment. But I love the price point for it. As far as uh, whether or not we, we have impressions for it, I know that Mr. Badbit from the Trophy Room and our good friend Charles, uh, who I game with regularly, they're both getting this headset and they're going to be able to write in and let me know their thoughts on it overall. But in large part, I'm really thrilled to see that Xbox is making hardware to complement the Xbox Series aesthetic. I think when we see minimalistic headsets and when you can have Xbox branded things, it's just nice for those that want to have, uh, you know, t technology synergy. I don't know what the right right term is there, but I know when I had uh, a Sony TV, I wanted to make sure that my PlayStation looked a lot like that TV. I wanted to make sure that, you know, all of my technology was the same brand or the same color or something like that. I, I appreciate there's a value in that. But let me know if you are interested in this headset. I am very fascinated to hear what Badbit and Charles have to say for me. I'm curious to know if it's a worthwhile headset. And uh, if I do get my hands on a review unit, I'll let you know my thoughts as well. I don't know if this next story is necessarily industry shaking, but a lot of people took a lot of hope and excitement from it in that Bungie has announced they are expanding their studio and IP plans for the years to come. Now, of course, Bungie for Xbox fans is known for their Halo work, but also very much for their Destiny work as they are full in on Destiny right now. And Destiny has a life of its own. I often chuckle whenever I see Destiny in my timeline because it's it's full of people complaining about Destiny and yet putting thousands of hours into it and that's what you get when you have any uh, ravenous community and I love seeing how much uh, the Bungie works with their community to try and perfect their game and it's an ongoing process nonetheless they do indeed have big plans for their future the company reiterated the company the company reiterated that they would be launching a new IP by 2025 four years to go until we uh, find out really what that is. And I like that timeline, by the way. I think that's great. Don't rush anything. You don't need to do anything. They've got money raking in. I'm all happy about that. And while they're working on this mysterious new IP, as well as Destiny, they're opening and expanding expanding their studio sizes. We're seeing a physical expansion of their, their outfit in the Washington office of Bellevue. And they're opening a new publishing outfit in Amsterdam. But Bungie also teased news that they would be expanding the Destiny franchise beyond games. And I think that's dope. I am a big fan of exploring lore outside of just the gaming medium. When I'm playing Hitman, I'm watching the Hitman movies. When I'm playing Halo, I'm reading the Halo novels. Playing The Witcher, reading The Witcher novels, etc., etc., etc. I love when I can, can really consume a universe by way of more than one medium, and I think Destiny fans will probably be thrilled to see whether it's a comic book, a novel, a movie, uh, a cartoon, short story, Netflix collaboration, whatever it is that they're doing to expand the IP of Destiny beyond just gaming, I think that's a really cool thing, and I know that Luke Smith over there is going to be doing a good job overseeing a lot of that.
So let's just, any more bullet points from this. I'm reading through different things. Basically, they're hoping, the big, the big takeaways here, expanding offices, investing money to get a new IP out there, and trying to expand beyond Destiny games within the Destiny universe. Yeah, I think we covered all that. That's a big deal. That's a real big deal. Bungie is doing a lot of special things, particularly as they've broken away from uh, previously Microsoft and then Activision. Now they're doing their own thing, seem to be seemingly well on their feet and into creating uh, plenty of things. I also think this curtails any of the rumor mill that was circulating that Microsoft might repurchase Bungie. I don't think that's happening when you see news like this, and I am totally okay with it. They seem to want their autonomy and make great games. I'm all for it going forward. Now, several cult classics will be making their way back into gamers' hands in the upcoming year. Stubbs the Zombie, Rebel Without a Pulse, will be re-released onto PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X via Compat for PS4 and Xbox One. And, of course, it'll be available for the Nintendo Switch and PC beginning on March 16th. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Stubbs the Zombie, this is a an Xbox title that is a cult classic among Xbox original fans. It was originally released in 2005, and it's a third-person game uh, where you're moving around causing havoc as a zombie trying to eat human brains, and it was developed by a now-defunct studio called Wideload Games. This is being published by Aspire Media, who published recently the port of the Episode One Racer from the Star Wars series, and they're trying to do it in a modern control scheme with Stubbs the Zombie. I love this because it's an original cult classic for the Xbox that is now being re-released to more people on more platforms. I am very nervous about this, however, and the next game that we're going to talk about, uh, based on my recent experience playing the Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. And also the Destroy All Humans remake, remaster, remake, I don't know. Bottom line, those two re-releases, for lack of a better descriptor at the moment, they weren't fun. They weren't good. They didn't They didn't help the game be more playable in 2019, 2020, 2021. They simply let me down because they were so faithful in their recreations that their remaster felt lazy. I don't, uh, I don't have any experience with Stubbs the Zombie. I'm anxious to try Stubbs the Zombie because so many Xbox fans talk about how, how much this game meant to them, how much they played it, etc. But if this game feels like a 2005 game and it looks bad and it feels bad and it feels like the port is lazy, I'm not going to be happy with that. Something about the Kingdoms of Amalur re-reckoning, the menus felt really obnoxiously difficult to navigate. That could have been cleaned up while the gameplay could have been left intact. User interfaces are another key element to this. I'm nervous about seeing this re-release and the Ninja Gaiden one that we're going to be talking about in a moment, simply because I've had disappointing experiences with re-releases like this. It's only going to be 20 bucks, the Stubbs the Zombie game, so that's not a big wallet breaker, and that might be indicative of what type of quality you're going to see with it. I am curious about this, this one, but I am not thrilled by the news. I love Legacy. I love games being playable once again. I'm just nervous about how this, this re-release goes. We'll see. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm not. You guys let me know, of course, in the, in the comments or you know, via Twitter, etc., but uh, I'm just, I'm nervous about it. That game is coming on March 16th, but a game further down the line coming out on June 10th is going to be the Ninja Gaiden Master Collection. This collection coming out on June 10th for plenty of platforms, including Switch, PlayStation, and Xbox, will combine Ninja Gaiden Sigma, Ninja Gaiden Sigma, Ninja Gaiden Sigma 2, and Ninja Gaiden 3 Razor's Edge. I am ecstatic by this idea because I'm a big fan, particularly as, as I've talked of of late, in having all the games un, in an umbrella and in from one launcher that you can launch into. That's why I'm so excited about the Mass Effect collection. That's what I like about the Halo Master Chief collection, about Hitman 3. When you can just dive into any of the games available from one launcher, I like that. It's a really good job at, as I've said many times this episode, preserving legacy and getting to experience older games. Now, just how thorough this remaster and compilation will be I, I said remaster i should say uh just the bringing forward of these games under one collection with kind of the enhancements that come with these newer systems i'm curious to watch i think there's a lot of fun to be had in the ninja guidance ninja gaiden goodness i can't i'm having trouble saying that this week ninja gaiden sigma games one and two i really like those games played a lot of them on vita 
I've heard very interesting statements about Ninja Gaiden Sigma 3, which was redubbed as Razor's Edge. It had a really troubled launch on the Wii U. Some people didn't like it. It stood out as the black sheep of the trilogy. That said, I'm excited by this. I my, my, my eyes are turning, and if there's a downtime this summer, I could see myself purchasing this really just to play some Ninja Gaiden and, and see if that game is really due for maybe a remake, a God of War-style remake, or a return to form, not in remaster form, but just in a new game altogether. And it will test the validity of this IP. I play a lot of games that are in the 2D space, you know, sprite sprawlers where you're, where you're going through, and uh, I'm thinking about Cyber Shadow, I'm thinking about uh, The Messenger, and they're so, they call back to the old Ninja Gaidens of yore. Well, this was the attempt to bring it into the 3D space, and it was a very good attempt, and it has a lot of history with the Xbox set of devices, particularly Ninja Gaiden 2. I'm curious to hear what people think of this. I'm curious to hear how they run, how good they look, how good they don't look. Again, these remasters worry me when they feel lazy. I don't know if this one will be lazy. I just have a lot of questions, and I'm just so cautious now after having been burned by Destroy All Humans and Re-Reckoning. I don't know. I like the idea that they're coming back under one umbrella, though. So take that how you will. Hello, Two Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Uh, Also, um, you didn't really name the turtle Shelly, did you? Rather understated and underreported this past week was news that Sea of Thieves had conquered several milestones for their fan base and their development teams. It was announced in a video released by Rare, really talking to the Sea of Thieves community, but some things of note stood out to me. First, Sea of Thieves had its highest concurrent users since launch uh, in the month of January, and their biggest month yet in terms of monthly active users. Additionally, the Sea of Thieves team is now the biggest that it has ever been, and they're continuing to aim for more growth in the Sea of Thieves world than they ever have before. I think this is really neat given that they just released their Plunder Pass, which is their equivalent to a Battle Pass. And in truth, a lot of times the live service uh, version of games don't get discussed as often in the console space as we might otherwise do. It also stands out to me because whether or not you play Sea of Thieves, I think it's hard to argue that it's not the most successful Microsoft IP in the entire Xbox One generation and beyond it, seemingly. Right now, Sea of Thieves feels more successful than Halo, than Gears, and any other of the IP that exists within the console space. Perhaps not as well known as Halo, they certainly seem to be doing incredible numbers both on the console side and the PC side, whether you're playing via you know Xbox Play Anywhere or under the Xbox Windows Launcher or on Steam. Sea of Thieves seems to have marked out its own community that is building onto itself, but not necessarily, in my way of thinking, crossing over into a ton of the console discussion spaces. It's just something that I think stands out as something that we need to remind ourselves, as I'm an avid player of Sea of Thieves, of course, uh, but I think we often forget that it exists because it doesn't stand next to Gears, Halo, God of War, and so many other IP that might exist in that space. But it's doing quite well, and so I wanted to really offer cheers to the Rare team over there and let them know that it is appreciated, and they must be doing a lot of great work to have a player base that is as ravenous as they are. Again, I include myself in that. I love sailing the seas, but it's a very different experience than saying playing Horizon Zero Dawn or Gears 5, etc. I'm just curious to see where Sea of Thieves goes and whether or not Microsoft tries to replicate that success with State of Decay, a game that really came into its own with State of Decay 2's Juggernaut Edition, but you know isn't at that same level of growth simply by way of being a very different type of game in terms of live service and, and providing for multiplayer experiences. Nonetheless, for it to have its largest monthly active users in, in the, the month of January 2021 after the game was released so many years ago, that's dope, and I like it. Before we get to listener mail, I think I'd be remiss not to mention this next point as it really highlights Microsoft's ongoing efforts to honor accessibility as a standard in the medium of gaming. Of course, we know about the Xbox accessibility controller and a lot of the features that are available in titles like Gears of War 5 that offer accessibility features out the gate. We've seen that standard be parlayed into other companies and I really you have to applaud a lot of what 
Microsoft and PlayStation are doing to bring people in. If, if you played the game Tilu 2 or, or The Last of Us 2, there's a number of accessibility features in, in those menus. Lots of Ubisoft titles now start off with menu narration and a color palette that allows gamers to get involved quickly, whether they are abled or disabled. There's a lot to celebrate in the world of accessibility for gaming. But that may get even better by way of a new program that's being rolled out in-house from Microsoft to help third parties test their titles against accessibility limitations for various players in a newly expanded uh, set of Xbox accessibility guidelines. Now, this is a Microsoft game accessibility testing service, as it's called, and that's a mouthful to say, goodness gracious. But it's live now, and it's releasing on. Uh, it's, it's available for anyone releasing a game on the Windows or Xbox platform. It's a paid service, it's not free, but essentially what Microsoft is doing is opening up their guidelines for internal testing and accessibility to third parties to take advantage of it, making sure that they're getting accurate and timely feedback while games are still within development. And as, as quickly as a week turnaround, companies can get feedback for what's accessible and not accessible about their game that's being developed so they can release it in the most accessible state possible. Now. That's a mouthful, and it's a lot on the development side. But really, the reason I wanted to share that with you is to note that Microsoft, and I believe PlayStation has their own version of this uh, to some level, but really Microsoft is working hard to see that companies are releasing games that can be uh, played by more and more people across all walks of life and, and whether they are abled or disabled. Something as simple as a colorblindness to a physical limitation that, that damages the way people are able to input button presses. I like this because I think it's just an ongoing effort to make gaming better for everybody. And if developers are able to take advantage of it in the development stage and not post-release, there's a lot to be said for that. So cheers to that idea there. Moving now into listener mail for this week, Todd Oxtra and my good friend Charles Hafrican wrote in questions that are rather related to one another. We start first with Todd Oxtra's question, and he said, I'd love to see the X-Men, TMNT, and Avengers arcade games come back and add online play. What arcade games do you want on consoles? And then my good buddy Charles wrote in and said, What retro games, Xbox or other, would you like to see come to Game Pass? So I'm going to combine this question just a little bit. First, as far as the arcade games that I want to come back and have online play, uh, Todd, you actually mentioned three of the four that I would have chosen, TMNT, Avengers, and X-Men. I loved those arcade games back in the day, and I would also like to add AVP to that, Alien vs. Predator. Those were incredibly cool arcade games that I, I just had an absolute blast with. And we saw a version of TMNT come back. We saw a version of X-Men come back uh, with online play, but they haven't really made uh, too many markers here in recent years. I want those games available regularly and often. I loved the Streets of Rage 4 game that came out for a good brawler and side-scroller beat-em-up that was fun, but it was limited in how many people could play it and just how... Uh, how easy or difficult it was. I want those older games to come back. I loved the Avengers game, loved the X-Men game, loved the old TMNT game, which had its own version of a re remaster uh, on the Xbox 360, and it was fun, but it didn't have the same magic. So I would want those games to be uh, re-released and re-spotlighted, as it were. To Charles's question about older retro games, uh, Xbox or otherwise, that I want to come to Game Pass, I'm thinking about a lot of those licensed games that are in the superhero genre just because of my interest. Marvel Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects for the original Xbox, I love that game. That is such a cool fighting game that combined these really dark, broody versions of Spider-Man and Venom and Daredevil and Wolverine uh, to, to these imperfects that were basically rival characters uh, in their own right. I would love to see that game come back. A lot of the licensed games like X-Men Origins Wolverine or the old Spider-Man stuff, I want to come back as well. I often mention uh, games that are lost to licensing agreements like Star Trek Legacy or, or uh, the Captain America game on 360. I don't want those games to go the way of the Dodo simply due to licensing. So I want those games to come back and be available in Game Pass uh, for any other user to have a go with as well. Good questions, Todd and Charles. Thank you guys for writing in. The next question comes from Mr. Famous Seamus himself, an incredible individual who writes in each and every week. Famous Seamus says, What Xbox series would you like to see get a Dynasty Warriors-style game, something like Hyrule Warriors or Persona 5 Strikers? This is 
this is an unfair question because there's not a lot of IP, I think, within Microsoft stable at the moment that would benefit from that. Uh, my first gut instinct is Halo because it would make sense that a Spartan could be going out doing some things Dynasty Warriors style, and that's not an original idea. I'm sure I didn't come up with that. Uh, if you allow Bethesda games to be included in that, I would love to see Doom and have the Doom Slayer be taking on hordes and hordes and hordes of uh, different types of demons. I think that would be a dope, dope version of that. But beyond that, I'm not sure there are any IP that are recently relevant that would be worthwhile. I think people are tired of Halo, despite Halo not being back to prevalence. It'll be Halo Infinite's job to get people to care about a Dynasty Warrior-style game. You know, I think about Gears of War, and like, that's cool, but does that move the needle anywhere? Uh, for me, it would, but for anybody else, I don't know that it, that it does. Hyrule Warriors did something special in expanding the lore of Age of Calamity's Breath of the Wild or anything else. It, there's a lot of ways that you can approach it, but what, what franchises does Microsoft have that are worthy of that? And I don't know that right now, in the mindshare of gamers, there are too many within that. I'd love to see a Darksiders version of that as well with the Four Horsemen, you know, racking up kills here and there. Uh, I think the abilities of the Four Horsemen would be really cool, and that's not an, a Microsoft IP, but it is an IP that would benefit well from that gameplay style. So, you know, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, Famous Seamus, but really, I feel like it's a tired answer of Halo, Gears, maybe maybe a few others. Yeah, not, nothing really too cool there, but yeah, there you go, man. This next question came in from GamerMD, and while it's PlayStation-specific, I think it highlights a couple of Microsoft concerns as well. GamerMD says, Will we see a firmware update for the PlayStation 5 that will allow the use of an SSD expansion bay? And while I don't have an answer at all for you as far as the PlayStation side, I do think it highlights an issue that both Xbox and PlayStation have in terms of memory and the lack of expansion opportunities for that memory. 4K gaming on this high level of modern generation now takes up a lot of space on a hard drive, and I think both companies did their fans a disservice when they released at a terabyte or less. Should have been a two terabyte system minimum. The lack of option on PlayStation 5 is certainly a big problem for gamers because they have to delete and re-download games uh, anytime they want to, to play past a certain memory point, and that can be very expensive if you're contending with data caps. On the Xbox side, we have the expansion card, but that's a $200 investment to expand your memory by only a, a terabyte. That's a problem. That is too expensive, too rich for my blood, and I'm not paying $200 unless it's you know a very special deal with, with a good amount of memory in it. I don't know what their solution is in the short term other than to say, deal with it, and that's a big bummer. Moreover, I, I it, they've really got to do a good job at upgrading this tech and getting more terabytes into those velocity architecture chips for the Microsoft side. The only way I could see myself purchasing one is if it's Halo branded and looks like Master Chief's uh, Cortana chip. But beyond that, like what's the value? It goes in the back of the system. 200 bucks is too expensive. Sony doesn't even offer an option right now. Those timelines need to be increased and it needs to be better for the gamer. This last question comes from Clint Coombs, and he writes in with a fun one saying, Kind of a random question, Luke, but have you ever brought anything from the gaming verse into your teachings at school? For those who don't know, I do teach middle school on the side. And the answer, Clint, is absolutely yes. I've used it many times, crossing over my interests of gaming into the lessons and education stuff for my middle schoolers. Uh, sometimes it's by way of studying you know, mood and tone. I've used... Uh, Ori in the Blind Forest and Ori in the Will of the Wisps to teach nonverbal storytelling and just what a color palette, a description of a color palette, uh, the ominous sounds can be used in order to display the emotions of characters involved and how relevant that is to writing for characters, you know, setting up uh, the mood for a reader to, to understand what a character is going through because the entirety of Ori's gameplay sessions are nonverbal. You're playing through and you're experiencing and learning things for the majority of the game where no words are actually being said to you or very few words. There's a great bit of nonverbal storytelling in that. When I am teaching methods of persuasion, I will often bring up Game Pass advertisements to look at how, based on logos, pathos, and ethos, a company might use logic or logos to to appeal to a reader or viewer by way of you know 100 games for one low price that is meant to be a logic-based thing a lot of value for a low amount of, of investment 
maybe pathos-based, where, where you have a celebrity or somebody try to uh, persuade you into to being excited for something uh, on an emotional level. There's another aspect of a celebrity by way of something called ethos where that credibility of a character of a celebrity is meant to draw you in and sell you a product as well. Uh, similarly, I also use Titanfall. I've used Titanfall and advertisements uh, at various points to showcase a bond between characters in a very short time, to showcase how you can have a character that is non-human be, be helpful and emotional in, in a robotic sense. And I do this with non-gaming stuff too. Like we, we do this with movies and characters and TV shows all the time. That's You have to make it relatable. But yeah, man, I all the time use my gaming verse things uh, to teach different types of lessons throughout the year. Well, that is going to do it for my portion of the show. I send you off this week with an interview with Celia Schilling from Yacht Club Games. Now, Celia joined me a few weeks ago uh, and, and I've been sitting on this interview for just a bit to give a little bit of time for Cyber Shadow to be out and experienced by players. Of course, Cyber Shadow is available in Game Pass, and Celia came in to talk to me about all the things that Yacht Club has worked on via, via Shovel Knight and the various games that have come out under that umbrella, and also what they're trying to do as far as publishing new games in that retro aesthetic. Celia was a wonderful guest. I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Please tweet at Yacht Club and let them know you appreciate Celia's time and if you enjoyed the interview at all. That's it for me, guys. Don't forget to rate the show over on iTunes, follow it over on YouTube, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care. Alrighty, we are very fortunate now to welcome Celia Schilling, Marketing Manager for Yacht Club's Games. Celia, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I am ecstatic to talk to you. Of course, Yacht Club has quite the legacy in the world of modern retro games and whatnot. But let's start first with your role at Yacht Club, Marketing Manager. What is it you do and how did you end up there? Okay, so um, what I do for my job, um, I handle a lot of marketing, PR, and licensing. Um, so for this, any advertisements you saw about Cyber Shadow, I had a hand in it. Uh, if you watched uh, the really cool Indie World Direct, um, I worked with Nintendo to uh, have Cyber Shadow be there. If you see the Xbox Wire article, um, so we worked with Xbox's marketing team to get that up. So a lot of promotional materials, and um, if you ever tweeted us, I'm the one responding. That has to be exciting and pressure-filled. Is there a big difference in working from one of, the, say, the first-party publishers to the next? Um, so this is actually my first step in hardware. I realize I oh, sorry, software. Um, so basically for that, let's rewind a little bit to your initial question. How did I get a job at Yacht Club Games? How can you get a job at any studio you want? Well, the first thing you do is apply. It's really cool. You just do it, and they'll, they'll call you back. It's really awesome. Um, so for that... Uh, so Yakult Games is actually my first step into like software, um, like development, well, marketing software developers uh, before I was in hardware. Um, and so I guess with marketing for like like platformers or like what you said for other companies, I think mm -hmm. it just depends because um, we're like really lucky since we're very like intimate. We focus on like our Shovel Knight titles and we're also focusing on Cyber Shadow. But for other companies, you're marketing like a heck ton of games, you know, like certain publishers have like 50 coming out in a year. So I would say uh, th there are similarities and differences. It just depends on your juggling or what your focus is, depending on what team you're on. How long have you been doing? Have you? How long have you been in this role, I should say? Uh, almost a year now. I got hired right before this, like the shutdown happened. So they hired me. I was like, okay, cool. And then a week later, uh, you know, the world closed down. And I remember tweeting um, one of my colleagues being like, hey, like, are we still open? <laughs> Is everything cool? Um, but yeah, things, yeah, it's been a year, almost a year. So that's a bit of a baptism by fire to learn and watch marketing and PR change since the pandemic, since shelter in place. Of course, you have uh, all types of, of trade shows that close down. You can't show off the game. I first played Cyber Shadow at E3 2019, of all places, and we, you weren't able to spot like that. How did, how did your role or, or your peers' roles change in this shelter in place process? So Yacht Club Games was actually really on top of things. So mm -hmm. after, I think I want to say it was PAX 
East, or yeah, it was after PAX East, literally they decided, okay, we're going to have everyone work from home. So they set everyone up with their, their computers, their setups, the, their Discord, everything we would need. And things haven't been too different, except I don't know how tall everyone is, and uh, <laughs> we're all on video calls. So it's it's been it's been a, a pretty smooth process. Of course, we have difficulties, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know it's it's been hard for everyone. But we've been doing our best to like make it work. <laughs> okay, so silly question, just born of ignorance. You said they set you up with your computers. Does that mean they're shipping you guys computers to work with, or are you using your personal stuff? Does that unique to Yacht Club being smaller or bigger versus some of the the major players or even the smallest of indie studios? What does that mean? Um, well, for like for me, uh, they ship me my computer. Uh, no, actually, no, they didn't. Rewind. They shipped me my monitors, and for my computer, I actually stopped by the office because I wanted to pick up some of uh, the merchandise so I could do some Instagram photos. Fun fact, we have an Instagram. Follow us. It's at Yacht Club Games. Anyways, um, so for that, and for I think for my colleagues, they picked it up because it was right before the shutdowns. I'm not exactly sure the process. Um, I haven't sure. asked them, like, hey, how did you get your computer? Um but yeah. But you didn't ask them how tall they were either? Uh, I didn't. Like, I know how tall, like, were the people in my interview, but, like, I want it to be a surprise, like, when I see the rest of my colleagues. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I thought, I thought you'd be shorter or taller. You know, we'll never know. I have the same issue uh, during my day job of working with students because I see their faces or an avatar, and mm-hmm. they can only imagine what I look like and vice versa outside of that, that window. So sometimes I throw them off. Today I wore a Master Chief outfit just to see what they would do. That's great. How did they react? Uh, Some of them were were, uh, frustrated and scared. Others thought it was the coolest thing ever and everywhere in between. One one person, Celia, said that I was that guy from Fortnite. So times have changed. Uh oh, spaghetti. I was about to ask you if they um, they did any red versus blue quotes, but maybe that's a little too far back. Way too far back. Uh. Yeah, the world's different. The world's different. All right, so we've got you here to talk, of course, about Cyber Shadow, Yacht Club publishing it, and of course, Yacht Club's legacy. There's so much to unpack there. Let's let's back the clocks back a little bit. Yacht Club, masters of their domain when it comes to modern retro platformers, which is quite a strange title. Shovel Knight, that is what the Yacht Club is known for. Talk to me about Shovel Knight and... Uh, the way the company views the franchise, what they're doing with it, where it's going, and its legacy. Okay, so let's separate this into sections. Okay, so <laughs> sorry, <I got laughs> so like legacy, awesome. It's definitely awesome. <laughs> okay, so for its humble beginnings, um, so this is my retelling of their story. Obviously, my colleagues who were there uh, personally lived through it. It's going to be way more detailed, but in short. Um, so a bunch of my colleagues like Sean and Waz and David and a few others, um, they all worked together at a company called Way Forward. And um, they had a lot of fun working together. And the thing is, though, is that with Way Forward, basically what happened was that they worked closely together, like on a team project, you know, because there's very different avenues of like every different game that they're they're putting out. And they really bonded, you know, they became great friends. And the thing is, though, is that after a project ends, um, the team, you know, disperses and then they put, you know, they pick people for different projects depending on what their specialty is. But the thing is, though, is that they really enjoyed working together. They loved it. You know, they became so close. And like during their hangouts, like, you know, they would joke about making a character, you know, like, oh, it'd be really funny if we made him with like, you know, it'd be like a 2D platformer. And like, wouldn't it be funny if he had a shovel instead of a sword? Yeah, that'd be silly. Yeah, and, like he was a knight. He was a valiant shovel knight. And then it like kind of stuck. And they're like, wait, like, that's funny. Like, I guess we're doing it now. And so a few of uh, my colleagues got together and they formed, um, like, a Kickstarter. That's back when Kickstarter was, like, starting to become, like, a big deal. And they're like, let's let's get our dreams going. Let's try this. And, you know, they went through their journey with creating that. They made a bunch of, like, crazy uh, Kickstarter promises. Yeah, we'll add, like, a fighting game. There's, like, throwing things out there. Uh, we'll send you a bag of dirt. And, you know, they did, actually, <laughs> some of the Kickstarters. That was a tier. Um, so through that process, you know, they created Shovel Knight and it, um, people loved it. You know, you could, you could tell like the passion that like my coworkers put into that game. It's, it's really crazy because like, um, as an outsider, like this is way before I, you know, knew my colleagues, it was years ago and I remember playing Shovel Knight and being like, this is awesome. I want to play more. 
And what was cool is because of the, the promises, they kept on making extensions to the game. And it's evolved into Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. And the last edition for it uh, came out in December 2019, um, which was King of Cards, which is my favorite, um, as well as uh, Shovel Knight Showdown, which is also really awesome. So it's, it's, and we've grown from like a very small team and we're still small. We're like 24 people, but like the, the company is like tripled in size. All right. So I want to interrupt briefly to note for listeners that Shovel Knight Trevor, Treasure Trove, which is available seemingly on every, every platform under the yes. sun, it includes Shovel of Hope, which is the original Shovel Knight, Plague of Shadows, which was a 2014 game, Specter of Torment 2017, King of Cards, and Showdown from 2019. That is a lot of content under one umbrella. And I will be, I will tell you right now, uh, Ms. Schilling, that I am one of the many people that have tweeted Yacht Club, probably to you, and mm-hmm. said, hey, separate these so I can give you more money. <laughs> Why in the world was that included all under one package? It's like the most valuable thing ever, second to Game Pass, maybe. Okay, so something interesting is that you can buy them standalone. Uh, so you can buy King of Cards, uh, Spectre of Torment, uh, Shovel Knight Showdown, um, Shovel of Hope. You can buy all of them separately as well, uh, depending on the platform. So, like, I know it for Steam, uh, Humble, GOG, um, Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah, like, like oh, most of the platforms. I'm, like, mm-hmm. listing them off. It's going to be a billion. Uh, yeah, I started on my Vita with, with Shovel Knight. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off. I said I started on Vita with my Shovel Knight, so I'm with you. That's awesome. Yeah, so they are, they are standalone as well, but um, to the people that initially bought the game like way back when, um, they did get free downloads as the promise, as the Kickstarter promise. Mm-hmm. Which which is just brilliant, and I have to th- I would have to think that uh, longtime fans are are greatly appreciative. Did you notice a a, a different type of reception? Uh, from fans as each game came out because they are quite different from one another. They are. There are different receptions. You know, there's always going to be like, it's kind of funny because like certain fans are like obsessed with different, um, uh, what's the word, uh, campaigns. So mm-hmm. some of them are like, King of Cards is the best. And then some people will be like, ah, oh, I can't stand Joustice, but Shovel of Hope's the number one, you know, ultimate version of Shovel Knight. So it honestly, like, response-wise, you know, it draws in fans from different um, platforming, I guess, genres that people enjoy. So it's actually really interesting to to watch because I'm a – you know, it's funny, though, because Plague of Shadows used to be my favorite, and then I finally played King of Cards, and, like, I'm sorry, uh, Plague Knight, uh, King King Knight's number one now. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting. (laughs) I'm a Spectre of Torment guy myself. I loved playing the, the, that, uh, that campaign. We had a lot of listener questions, and one of them came back to the inspiration, inspiration for Shovel Knight and whether or not it related to ghouls and goblins. Now, you sort of touched on that. Do you know if there are any specific retro games that the team was into when they first were kind of coming up with Shovel Knight specifically? Okay, so I know, like, a huge part of the team. So I don't know the specifics, so don't quote me on, like, it was exactly this game. But, like, my colleagues are, like, huge, huge Link to the Past fans. They're huge. Um, we have okay, Link to the Past, Mega Man, maybe Ghouls and Goblins. I'd have to double-check with them, but they're huge retro fans. They have a huge appreciation for, like, the 8-bit and 16-bit era of gaming. So there's definitely some influences there, obviously, because they went the, um, like, the retro kind of style approach to it. But, yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. And it certainly seems to shine through. And one thing that is uh, noticeable in the Shovel Knight campaigns, all of them, and of course in in Cyber Shadow, which you guys published, there is a love for retro there. There is Mm -hmm. a love for retro. Let's transition to Cyber Shadow. Yacht Club not developing it, Mecha Skull working on it, uh, Mm -hmm. and pretty much solo from what I understand. Please correct me as I go. And you guys are publishing it. How did this relationship come about? Okay, well, that's actually a funny story. So um, Arne, um, he is Mecha School, a.k.a. the one-man studio of uh, Mechanical Head Games. Um, so he was posting some early screenshots of Cyber Shadow. He was, like, really stoked about it. And one of our colleagues, David, um, saw him on Twitter. He was just browsing around looking at cool stuff, and he saw it, and he's like, wow, that's awesome. And he showed it to the team, and we were like, wow, that's really awesome. So uh, we contacted him. We're like, hey, you know, um, we're interested in uh, maybe helping out, you know, maybe publishing with you. Like, what, would you be interested? And RNA 
said no. And we're like, oh, okay. Um, well, let us know if you change your mind. But like, we do have like a wealth of um, knowledge we could provide with you and also help get that game out there. And um, initially, Arne, like the reason that he said no was he had a, a very strong uh, no publisher rule. And I think that's because he might have like a connotation thinking that, you know, the, the publisher would change his vision. But the thing is, though, is for us, though, we are a hands on publisher, you know, we give feedback, we help with marketing. Um, we're very dedicated to keeping the vision of the developer. That is like the whole point. Like, you know, we're not going to take your game, um, be like, oh, this game's actually a, a dating sim and then market it that way. Like, no, we're, we're going to keep to your vision of what you want. And like once you saw like the benefit of that, he was like, oh, OK, I'm yeah, let's work together. And we've been working together for the past couple of years. How long did it take to go from the initial no to deciding to work together? I have no idea. <laughs> I would Fair assume, point. I would assume like a little bit, obviously, because uh, when communicating with Arne, uh, Arne lives in Finland. It's not like he's a like the guy down the street that we can like knock on his door and say hello every so often. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not exactly sure on the exact date or timeline, but like you know, it's it's conversing over time. Sure. Sure. Well, you mentioned that you guys saw this thing. You reached out to him. Is this a common practice that Yacht Club has been doing or has done? Because my understanding, although limited, was that this is the first or one of the first games that you guys have published. Correct I, me where I'm wrong, please. So for that, okay, so I'm for publishing. This is our first hands-on publishing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we had brought a different game to the States previously. Um, it's by NT Crease. It was published over in Japan. And I am forgetting the name Gunvolt Strikers. I'm mixing it up somehow. But uh, Azure Striker Gunvolt Striker Pack. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes. That's on the website. Right. I saw it. Just didn't know better. Go ahead. Thank you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like saying the name. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, yes. Yeah, so that game. Um, so we helped bring that to the states. But this is our first project where we are. Um, we gave like feedback for development, and we did like hands-on marketing with it, and um, yeah, we worked with the creator. And then as for it being a common thing for Yacht Club Games, we were playing with the idea of publishing. And, like, of course, like, not only do we want to make games, but, like, we want to help bring games into, like, fruition and, and give them the platform that they deserve. Mm-hmm. No, Anybody looking would see Cyber Shadow. They would see Shovel Knight, and they would think, okay, this is retro modern. You know, that, that's what it's going for. Is that the focus of Yacht Club's publishing? Is that something that they are keying into? Um, I would say no, because, like, for Shovel Knight, like, we see, like, you could see Shovel Knight in, like, for example, his cameo in ukulele, and he's 3D and looking awesome. I remember mm-hmm. seeing that, and I was so excited when I played the game. Anyways, so for that, I, I wouldn't say that we're focused only on retro. So if, let's say, we see a really awesome game on Twitter again, and it's 3D, or it's, like, first-person VR, uh, who knows? I don't know the future. Um, mm-hmm. So for that, we wouldn't uh, discount it just because it's a certain genre. It's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things where, like, not only are we, like, a publisher slash developer, but we're gamers ourselves. We want to play a lot of cool games and help them uh, get their start. That's such a cool thing. That's so cool. And, and it's funny. I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, but I just see all these all these things that I want to lock on to. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I focus here on Cyber Shadow for a minute before I keep <laughs> okay. going and getting excited. Um when you have uh, Cyber Shattered there, you're working on publishing it, and you're providing feedback to it. What does that feedback look like? I mean, you're looking at, you know, it, this looks like Ninja Gaiden or perhaps Shinobi or something like that. Is there a, a specific type of feedback that you're giving? Is it like level design stuff? Is it graphical things? What does feedback look like in that role? Okay, so let me give you a little bit of backstory um, to help mm-hmm. you understand what we give feedback for. So sure. when we approached uh, Arne, the, uh, Cyber Shadow was basically done. Like, it was it was a pretty much complete game. Um, but from there, so when we played the initial levels, uh, we gave level design feedback, you know, in some uh, with our experience with that. We gave some feedback on um, some introduction to, like, game hazards while we're also, like, level hazards, sorry, there we go, level hazards while introducing enemies. So we gave, like, a wealth of suggestions that way. But the thing is, though, is that it was up to RNA to make changes. Um, another thing we gave uh, feedback on was, like, story placement. Like, it would be really cool to have a cutscene here. This would make more sense. Um, but it was always up to RNA and his vision. So if he was like, no, like, I don't think 
that works out exactly, um, he could reject it. But it was a pretty cohesive experience of like us working together. So, mm-hmm. is there QA involved? Is there feedback on difficulty? You talked about level hazards and stuff. Um, I mean, that game is is massively hard, but totally fair. And checkpoints are great in the, in that game. Is there feedback in that, or is that still RNA uh, initially bringing it to you guys? So, yeah, there's QA. We have a QA team. Um, my colleague Adam, who's head of QA uh, at Yacht Club Games, he's really awesome. Oh, my gosh, he's such a pro at the game. So, yeah, we did that. We also had beta testers do QA, so that was really fun um, to hear everyone's feedback, you know, their their opinions. I made the survey on it, so, like, we got to see all their answers. And it, it was a really fun experience with that. So, yeah, we helped with that. We also help with, obviously, marketing, uh, which is me. We also helped with um, getting the games ported. And like all of that. That's a good point. It, the game is available on every platform, seemingly under the sun. PS4, PS5, Xbox One. Of course, it's Ford compatible to Xbox Series S and X. Mm-hmm. I believe it's on Nintendo Switch and PC. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, Linux, Mac, and yeah, PC. Linux, Mac, and man. So covering the bases there. Does that take a lot of extra effort when 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 he brings you the game? Uh, or, or anybody brings you a game, does it take a lot of effort to get onto that many platforms, or is it specific to the type of game that's being brought to you? So for that, I don't have a lot of experience with porting. Um, I know mm-hmm. my colleagues worked very hard because I was staying up late for, mm-hmm. um, for like, writing up marketing jargon and like making graphics, and like mm-hmm. I'd see my other colleague, and they'd be awake, and I'm like, why are you awake? And they're like, why are you awake? And I'm like, shh, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't know exactly, but it, I would assume it's a lot of work. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Well, the game is also in Game Pass and launched day and date there. That had to be an interesting experience. Tell me about that. I don't know if I can. So our experience with Xbox is awesome. Um, I'm really happy how supportive they've been, and we're really happy to be on the Xbox Game Pass platform. And that's our, and that's our answer. All right, yeah. there you go. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I found it to be a bit of a treat, though. And I know listeners of this show are mostly Xbox centric. And I will tell any listener right now: if you have Game Pass, go check this game out for mm-hmm. sure. It is an absolute must-play, must-try. Uh, and if you are a fan of of that genre, the platforming, the Ninja Gaiden, Shinobi, that sort of stuff, uh, I think you will dig it. Did it change on your end, Celia, the way that you marketed or spotlighted the game? being in a subscription service regardless of whether it was xbox or perhaps if it had been in playstation plus or or some other subscription services that changed your job or your role so for that um so the xbox marketing team is fantastic oh my gosh like i cannot convey how amazing and supportive and wonderful they are and for that there's just it's just different channels of how we would market it and it's working very closely with their team on it and we had like Game Pass specific um, like articles like on Xbox Wire, for example, uh, one was posted about it, uh, which we shared character profiles. Check it out. It's really cool. Anyways, um, so we did that or like we'd share the trailer and we would focus both on console and Game Pass. So it just depends the channels and the opportunities that we're able to coordinate with the team. Gotcha. That's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> and the art design in, in Cyber Shadow is absolutely dope. The animations are incredible. There's probably... Uh, it's probably a treat for you when you're getting to market the game when you have such rich, you know, content to work with in a game that beautiful. It is so pretty. And like the thing is, though, is I consider myself a retro gamer, uh, mm-hmm. which is very convenient <laughs> for this uh, very uh, 8-bit classic aesthetic. And just to see the game and like how gorgeous it is and how RNA put everything together. It's it's such an like it's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really fun uh- to play with. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I'm going to talk very directly to your QA, Adam. Adam, I need a video. I'm struggling with subject alpha, the second part. It's really tough. It's really hard. And Arne, hey, your game's great, man. Thanks for making it so difficult. I'm definitely, definitely rocking it. It's a blast. <laughs> Let both of them sleep. They're tired. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Putting out a game has got to be so much work. And to that effect, it's according to y'all's website, you guys have more games in production under the Shovel Knight umbrella with mm-hmm. Shovel Knight Dig and Pocket Dungeon. What can you say about either of those projects, if anything? 
Yeah, sure. Okay, so Shovel Knight Dig is like a brand new game being co-developed by Nitro and us. And um, it's basically a fun, like, like roguelite adventure with procedurally generated levels. So each time it's going to be a fun adventure. Um, I don't have, like, a whole ton to announce about it, but there's a lot of fun things in store. And, like, once I can talk about it and be able to talk about, like, the cool new characters, like the Hexcavators and Drill Knight and, like, oh, my gosh, so much. Um, what can I say? Drill Knight. Um, <laughs> god it's so cool um i'm like i'm geeking out every time i see new updates about it but i can't talk about any of it so until then development is going great um i can't wait to talk about it so uh stay tuned to our social media pages and our website for more updates once i can announce something i will that is and- a pr trained answer and i dig it celia thanks what i pr trained i just made that up on the cuff i've never said it in my life brilliant <laughs> So this will sound like an accidental lead-in question, and please don't take it that way. I am curious, given that that Yacht Club was so on it, going back to the very beginning of the interview, plus projects that were already in play, does does working from home change the timelines for you guys a great deal, as we've seen that happen to many AAA games on, on what I'm again, amateurly interpreting to be a smaller scale, does it change the timelines for development for you guys, or are you fairly capable of being agile on that front? I just don't know. So please don't take that to be a leading question. Oh, no. It's, it's Okay, so times are tough for everyone, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to pretend that, oh, you know, so we're on top of things. Everything's great, you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. like, blinking for help. Um, the thing is, <laughs> is that, like, I wouldn't say that things would be, like, a snail's pace you know and there are more challenges with working with the team and we're working with nitro so it's not just like in-house of what we're working on since this is co-developed so there there's a lot of process with it but i wouldn't say anything is halted because of uh the times Mm -hmm. but you know it's makes things tough sure and i don't know what it's like for other studios because sometimes like certain studios might not have the resources to be able to you know give computers to every developer or um, developers at home might not have the resources to be able to work as effectively. So it's a very case-by-case basis, and my heart goes out to the entire industry. Awesome. Well, I certainly i am in full agreement with you on that one um, and, and very appreciative uh, of your time and of you joining me. And it would mean the world if you would take a moment and let people know where to follow you personally, professionally, and what projects you want them to look forward to. Uh, and, of course, take another, take another stab at talking about Cyber Shadow because that game is so cool. Okay, let's break this up. Okay, let's first talk about Cyber Shadow. Um, So guys, you know, if you haven't played Cyber Shadow, I definitely suggest checking it out. If you love 8-bit classic aesthetic with the challenge that goes along with it, oh my gosh, you're in store for a treat. So, um, So please check it out. And when you are playing, keep an eye out for secrets when you're going through the levels. Arne threw in a bunch of Easter eggs and fun stuff. So yeah, you're you're in for a treat. So there's that. And if you want to follow the developer of Cyber Shadow, um, the sole creator, he's at Mechaskull. So check that out if you want to follow the composer, uh, Pentadrangle. Um, so th- there's those two. If you want to follow Yacht Club Games, uh, we're at Yacht Club Games on literally everything. So Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitch if you like the stream. And uh, personally, I'm on Twitter. I'm Celia B with three E's. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> and I awesome. hope you guys uh, enjoy the game. Awesome. Celia, thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun.